Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Welcome to this Altar 84 Global Conference. We are so excited to be able to release this content to all of our partners uh, around the world, both here in the United States, our church partners, as well as our, our global church partners around the world. Certainly, this is not what we intended when the Lord gave us this vision for a global conference. We envisioned a time where we would be able to, uh, to hug one another and to shake hands and to fellowship with one another, to worship in different languages, to pray in different languages, to to talk about what the Spirit of the Lord is doing in each of our countries and in each of our ministries and and in each of our churches. Uh, It is so uh, sad that we have all of these missed opportunities, but I also know that we also see so much need, pervasive need around the world, in our neighborhoods, uh, in our communities, in our countries, uh, the need is great. And there may be at no other time in our lifetime that the world is so united on uh, fighting a pandemic as well as fighting the effects of a pandemic. And as we know here at Lifeline, and you know in First Reality, the vulnerable are simply becoming more vulnerable each and every day of lockdowns, each and every day of restrictions. It's crazy to think that sitting here in Birmingham, Alabama, I can't readily go and and purchase a plane ticket and visit any one of my brothers or sisters around the world to, to love on them and to care for them. It is an interesting, interesting time. But we are so grateful to God for technology that we can still put much of this content out. And so I'm grateful to have the opportunity just to lead us in just this opening call of the gospel and orphan care. What does the gospel have to say about how we care for the poor, the needy, the orphan, the widow, the vulnerable, and the fatherless? And so what a great opportunity that we have before us. But also I'm excited, not just about this time to be able to look in God's word, but also the time that is before us as we are able to hear from other brothers and sisters. Uh, My dear brother, Pastor Raphael, brings a great message that I'm excited for everyone to hear next on gospel fidelity and how do we keep the gospel first and, and foremost in our ministry. And then as well, we'll get to hear from my brothers and sisters in India and in Colombia and in Romania and throughout the United States and and in other parts of the world, in Liberia. So we're so excited for you to be able to hear uh, the body of Christ truly come together as we put on this global conference. Well, my topic, like I said, is for us to see restoration and the gospel in orphan care. And want to think about even this call that we all share to care for vulnerable children, to care for the orphan, and to care for the vulnerable child. It, it reminds me to the summer about uh, 10 years ago uh, when my dear brother, Pastor Raphael, and his sweet wife, Alan, were visiting our home for the very first time. And 
I remember I had just been in Uganda visiting with him and Alan and their precious daughters. And we had just had dinner one night and, and my sweet wife Ashley tells our kids to go upstairs and to get ready for bed and to get on their PJs and to brush their teeth and to do all of those pre-nighttime routines. And something happened, right? One of our children started coming down the stairs far too quickly. There was no way that sweet Emily could have ever made it up changed clothes, brushed her teeth, and done all of those things and really been able to come back. Well, what we ended up learning is that precious Emily had gone upstairs, she had taken her clothes off, and then she had decided to come back downstairs. And not only has she come back downstairs without her clothes on, she had draped herself in a rug that was in her room. She comes into the middle of the kitchen, she drops the rug, and she goes, look, I'm naked. I'm not going to lie, I was abundantly embarrassed. And I couldn't see my brother, Pastor Raphael, or his wife, Alan's face. Only thing I could see was Ashley and naked Emily. And I thought, oh no, we have just created an extreme offense. As I spun around after telling Emily to go put her clothes on, it was to my relief that I saw smiles and that I saw laughter radiating from the sweet Kajubi family. And I'll never forget what my brother, Pastor Raphael, told me. He said, when you were at our home last month, we were afraid that our three-year-old daughter, Delight, was going to do the same thing to you. What I've learned, beloved, from traveling around the globe is that children are, are, are the same no matter the context, right? They, they, they all have certain needs, right? They're all unpredictable. They're all curious. They all have wild imaginations. They all want to be loved. They all get scared. They all have dreams. They all have fears. And ultimately, they all have a hole in their heart that only the gospel of the Lord Jesus can fill. But the thing that separates the children in our homes from those that are vulnerable, those that are orphaned, is that they lack the support of a family. And so the goal and the ministry that we have to care for orphans and vulnerable families and vulnerable children is to display the love of Christ. And so we understand that our ministry to these children, that the chief aim of that ministry, it's not food, it's not shelter, it's not even stability. The chief aim of our ministry to these children is the gospel of Christ Jesus. And their needs can only be truly met through the lens of gospel transformation. Their physical needs are vital, but their spiritual needs are eternally vital. And so it's not the responsibility of our governments it's not the responsibility of world relief organization. It's not the responsibility of the elite. It's not the responsibility of humanitarians or churches in the United States to fix all of the world's ills, but it's the command given directly to God's redeemed people, wherever they live, wherever they worship, and wherever they gather. And so we will clearly see, I believe, the command to care for orphans, the vulnerable, the stranger, and the widow echoed throughout God's word. We see it echoed throughout the Old Testament. And, and in the conclusion of our time, we're going to look at Zephaniah chapter 3, a place where I think it's so clear this call for us to care for the orphan and the vulnerable child. But we see it all throughout the Old Testament. We see it echoed continually. And we also see it in the New Testament as God continues to tell both those in the Old Testament as well as those in the New Testament. I redeemed you from slavery. I redeemed you from sin. I redeemed you from your sickness in order that you would glorify my name. 
You see, we show who we belong to by the way that we act. And that's the way that God is saying, you show your, my glory. You show your love towards me. You show that you follow me by your action. I love what Deuteronomy chapter 24 says. God says, hey, I redeemed you from Egypt. I, I, I rescued you when you were hungry. I rescued you when you were strange. I rescued you when you were a widow and fatherless. And so when you go into this land that I'm going to give you and, and you have your vineyards and they're rich and they're ripe and you go throughout your field, don't bear, strip it bare, but leave a little bit out for the sojourner. Leave a little bit out for the stranger. Leave a little bit out for the widow. Leave a little bit out for the orphan. Why? Because you were strangers. You were outcasts. You were widows and you were orphans. And I came to you. You see, we show who we belong to by our action. We're known by our fruit. You see, the only commands of the Bible that we show we believe are those that we obey. And we show that our allegiance is to the Lord through our participation in his work. We weren't giving God's word this Bible just to study it, just to read it, just to be able to show our congregations, just to be able to show our people, just to be able to show an outside world, hey, we've got all this biblical knowledge. No, we were given the Bible to put it into action. Our studying and our reading is so that we ultimately understand its imperatives. After dinner every night, my kids have chores that they have to do, and these chores rotate. So sometimes it's the dishes, sometimes it's sweeping, sometimes it's, it's wiping off the table, sometimes it's cleaning up. They all have different chores and they rotate, right? Now, my kids know how to do those chores now, but when they were young, we had to teach them how to sweep, we had to teach them what it meant to wipe off the table. We had to teach them what it meant to, to do the dishes. And, and, and I remember, like, like kids are, then studying the way that we would do it, right? Now, think about for a second, if my kids, let's say Caleb, he's 15 now, but let's say when he was eight years old and I'm teaching him how to sweep the floor, he goes, Dad, I just love watching you sweep the floor. I could watch you sweep the floor all day long. And I said, okay, buddy, it's your turn to sweep the floor. And he goes, no, I like the way you do it. I like the way you do it so much better. I just want to watch you. I just want to sit here under your feet and watch you sweep forever. Now, as a dad, I'm going to go, boy, get the broom and start sweeping, right? Because I want him to put into action the things that I'm teaching him. And so through God's word, we show the only parts that we truly believe are those parts that we put into action. When we obey the Lord and we care for the needy, we're putting into action that we believe that God is the father of the fatherless and the defender of the widow. We believe that he has redeemed us and freed us to participate with him. <clears throat> I love what Matt Chandler of the Village Church in Dallas, Texas says. He says, we live open-handed lives and seek to spot the injustice and despair around us. And we enter into the sorrow and the pain so that the love, mercy, and beauty of God's reconciling work in Christ can be seen in our lives in hopes that a broken world will see and give praise to God. You see, the Old Testament commands are not forgotten in the New Testament, and they're most clearly stated in James chapter 1, verse 27. And James says, religion that God our Father sees in pure and undefiled is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You see, beloved, this is a call for gospel-driven justice for the orphan and for the widow, and also a call to personal holiness and gospel proclamation. And if we're honest, many times we believe that this is one of those verses that you kind of pick and choose, 
right? My kids used to love and still really do love those books. And, and I'm not sure if they have them around the world, but we certainly have them in the United States where you pick your own ending. You get to a certain point and it says you can go path A or you can go path B. And it's kind of fun because you can read that book over and over and over again and pick a different path and it brings you to a different ending. And a lot of times we look at James 1.27 as a pick your own path, right? Are you going to be the one that looks for after the orphan and the widow? Are you going to be the one that says, I'm going to keep myself unstained from the world? But the truth of the matter is we would never preach to our churches, hey, it's an option. Personal holiness is an option. Seeking after Christ is an option. Trying to be Christ-like, total option of the Christian life. As a matter of fact, I would hope that our elders, that our overseers, that our shepherds would, would say, hey, you're not preaching the whole counsel of God when you say that personal holiness, when sanctification is just an option of the Christian life. But the truth of the matter is we look at the first part of James 1.27 and we, we call it optional to look after the vulnerable, to look after the widow. So we can't ignore personal holiness, but we must care for the poor. We must care for the orphan and we must care for the widow. That's the kind of religion that God our Father finds and he accepts. So I want us to see this word that's found in James 1.27 to look after in a lot of different places. I remember 17 years ago when I first joined the team at Lifeline and I would look at James 1.27. I had this idea in my mind that James 1.27 was a call to adopt, right? That, that to look after meant, hey, I gotta bring them into my home, right? Because I can't look after something that I'm, I'm not bringing into my own home. And so I, I actually, you know, inappropriately was exegesing James 1.27 by going around saying, hey, we got to adopt, we got to foster. But the truth of the matter is it's actually richer than that. It's actually bigger than that. This word to visit, we see it over and over in God's word. So I want us to look at some of those places so that we can get a richer understanding of God's command to visit, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. The first place is Genesis chapter 50, verses 24 and 25. And, and, and this is Joseph saying it to his brothers. He says to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you, there's that word, and bring you out of this land to a land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made, him, made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. You see, at the end of his life, Joseph was assuring the people of God that God would come and take care of them. Think about Joseph, right? All the things that his brothers meant for evil, all that Potiphar's wife meant for evil, all that the baker and the cup dresser, you know, meant for evil. God was using for good. And Joseph was put into a place in Egypt second in command to Pharaoh, to be able to take care of his brothers, to be able to take care of his kin. And now he's at the end of his life and he's promising his brothers, he's promising his family, God will come and take care of you. You don't need me physically here. God will visit you. He will care for you. God's going to come to you. He's going to look after you. He's going to take responsibility for your needs. He is going to take over with deep concern. That puts a lot of richness on this idea of visiting to look after orphans and widows. We literally, God is saying, you are going to look after them. They're your responsibility. You're going to have deep abiding concern for them. Then we look at Psalm chapter 8, 
verses three and four, when the psalmist says, when I look at your heavens, the work at your fingers, the moon and the suns, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man, here's the word that you care for him. This is the same word care that's used in James 1.27. God in his splendor and his greatness, the author, the creator and sustainer of the universe, he steps down and he looks after us. He visits us and he shows deep concern for us. The psalmist is saying, look at the works of your hands, the sun, the moon, the stars, all the things that you've made. What is man that you would care for him, that you show deep compassion for him? You know, beloved, the truth of the matter is those vulnerable children, those orphans in our midst, many times they look at our churches. They look at where we are in our communities. And when we stoop low and care for them, it's, it's a picture of our great God in so much more of an awesome splendor stooping down for us. To visit means we stop what we're doing. We stoop down and we care with intimacy for the orphan and for the vulnerable child. And then we see the same word looked in the, in, in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 1, verse 68, this is what it says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Why? For he has visited and redeemed his people. This is a quote from Zechariah after the birth of John the Baptist. Zechariah had had that vision when he went to Jerusalem to make sacrifice. And, and the vision was, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. And Zechariah laughed. Why? Because he and Elizabeth were, were, at, were past child-rearing age. And God made him mute until the birth of the child. And he said his name's going to be John. Zechariah was giving praise to God for the birth of his son, John the Baptist. And literally, Zechariah was saying, the Lord came in the form of the Messiah to visit, to care, and to redeem for his people. Zechariah is praising the Lord God, saying, you visited and you've redeemed us. Then lastly, we look at Matthew chapter 25 and verse 36. It's the famous parable of the sheep and the goats. Those who did not do unto the least of these, right? Or those who did do unto the least of these inherited the kingdom of God. But those who did not do unto the least of these, right? They got eternal judgment. Matthew 25, verse 36, Jesus says, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then chapter 25, verse 43 says, I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. I was in prison and you did not visit me. Oh, there's this word. There's this idea. Are you going to visit? Are you going to take responsibility, right? We think even now in this COVID-19 pandemic, what does it mean when we seek out, when we visit the sick, when we care for the homebound, when we care for the vulnerable? Most people, common nature, look out for their own family, their own household, but as God's people, we have been called to care and to visit the sick, to take deep concern, to take deep action. This one word from the Old Testament and the New Testament is teaching us that God in his character is concerned about looking after his people and coming to his people and caring for them. God through James is telling us that religion, which is true, 
goes to the neediest. It goes to the orphan. It goes to the widow, and it cares for them. It's deep, abiding care. It's responsibility. However, beloved, the opposite of true religion is a religion that ignores, forgets, neglects those who are needy, sick, hungry, as well as the poor, the orphans, and the widow. So to start our time off today, I want to ask us, what kind of religion are we practicing personally? What kind of religion are we practicing corporately within our churches? And what kind of religion are we practicing as the church globally as we come together? Is it true religion? Religion that that God the Father loves and God the Father is looking for? Or is it false religion? So with this framework, I want us to look at one of the minor prophets. I want us to, to see this, that we visit, that we care, because we first were visited. We first were cared for. We first felt the affection of Christ. So if you've got your Bible, open up with me to Zephaniah chapter 3. It's one of the minor prophets. And I want us to see how the gospel cries out for meek followers to humble themselves, realize their condition of sin, and trust no longer in themselves, but in the hopes of the nation, Jesus Christ. I want us to see this because adoption and caring for the orphans is a picture of the redemption that we receive for from the gospel and through the gospel. Sin is crushing and defeating. We've been born into a life of sin, self-gratification, self-exaltation, and self-idolatry. To see the gospel is to realize that the rightful king of the world stooped down to become like us. He came to a humble town of Bethlehem, an ordinary and nondescript night, in order to make a world marked by sin and death, a world that he would redeem. Jesus came as a baby, but being God, he could have come as a full-grown man. He could have come at Passover or a prescribed feast. Instead, he comes meekly. And through his ministry, he calls out to us. He calls out to the meek. He commands his followers to love the outcast and the orphan and to care for them. And beloved, that is the ministry we've been called to, a ministry of manifesting the gospel to the stranger, the outcast, and the alien in hopes that a vision of seeing the gospel go forth to every people, to every tribe, to every tongue, and every nation would be realized. You see, beloved, as we care, as we stoop down, as we love on the orphan, as we love on the outcast, as we love on the alien, as we love on the stranger, ultimately, we're showing a beautiful picture of the gospel of Christ Jesus. Our hope is that these widows, our hope is that these orphans, our hope is that these vulnerable children, our hope is that these outcasts will come to know the beautiful gospel that makes them children that makes them the bride of Christ, that makes them no longer a stranger but accepted, that makes them no longer outcast but included. That's the gospel that we preach. And we put legs to that gospel. We put physical reality to that gospel when we care for the orphan, the vulnerable, the outcast, and the child and the family in our communities that need the help. So starting with this framework, I want us to build through three phases of Zephaniah chapter 3. This first phase, Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Zephaniah says this, Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. 
She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave nothing till the morning. Her prophets are fickle, treacherous men. Her priests profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail. But the unjust knows no shame. The Lord speaking, I've cut off the nations. Their battlements are in ruins. I have laid waste their streets so that no one walks in them. Their cities have been made desolate without a man, without an inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me. You will accept correction. Then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I've appointed against you. But all the more they were eager to make all of their deeds corrupt. Therefore, wait on me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey. For my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger for the fire of my jealousy. All of the earth shall be consumed. We see the wickedness and sinfulness of men, along with the just response of God to vindicate his holy name. Beloved, if we look at these words from Zephaniah chapter 3, it's eerily familiar to what we're going through right now during this global pandemic, right? The, the streets are desolate. The cities have been made desolate. No one walks on the streets, right? But this is a picture of judgment, of a, of a wrath that's much worse than COVID-19. The wrath of God that is poured out on our sin. The city is now described as defiled and oppressing, verse 1. It has become polluted through the sins of idolatry and covenant breaking. Rather than showing care and compassion, the city has become brutal and overbearing. And then leaders, verse 3, instead of guarding their flock, they're devouring their flock. The officials are roaring lions. The judges are evening wolves that leave nothing till the morning. The imagery is those lions and those wolves are devouring their people and leaving nothing. The leaders are are not showing compassion, but they're overbearing. Rather than guarding their flock, they're devouring it. But hey, there's also a word for religious officials. Religious officials are condemned in verse 4 as well, right? It says the, the priests and the prophets are fickle. They're treacherous men. They profane what is holy and they violate the law. Rather than being speakers of God's sure word, they speak their own fickle words and defame the offerings of God's people. God calls the city to fear and respectful awe his power. His justice will avenge the pollution of sin. He alone is righteous and holy. And this is the stage, beloved, that Jesus comes in on the scene. A world that is sickened by sin and its effects. A world longing and needing a savior. It's because of sin that we have orphans. It's because of sin that we have neglected children. It's because of sin that we have street children. It's because of sin that we have foster children. It's because of sin that any child would have to be separated from their family because of death or abuse or neglect or poverty or or disability. Oh, it's because of the brokenness that we have outcast. 
It's because of our rebellious sin that's ushered in a society where children will be neglected, abandoned, and lost. And so this first section of Zephaniah chapter 3 beckons us that there is no hope without the Lord's intervention. And that's where we are, beloved. We need the Lord's intervention, and there's no hope without it. There's no hope for COVID-19 pandemic. There's no hope for overcoming this virus. And there's desperately no hope for overcoming our sin or the effects of our sin. The pervasive lostness of children, the pervasive vulnerability of children without the intervention of holy God. Ha, huh. but go back to James 1.27. This is why he tells us pure and undefiled religion is this, that you, my people, care for the orphan and the widow and keep yourself unstained from the world. We step in as God's instruments of righteousness, of his gospel proclamation, and his social care when we follow him in pure and undefiled religion. But let's follow on with Zephaniah chapter 3, looking in verses 9 through 13. For at this time, love this, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exalted ones, and you shall no longer be holy, haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies. Nor there shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. For they shall graze and lie down, and none of them shall be afraid. How beautiful is verse 9. This loving conversion is not just for Israel, but for the nations. And that means for those of us who are listening to this word, who are listening to this simulcast. God will turn our speech from condemnation into praise, from confusing banter into a language, into a concatenation of worship. The Tower of Babel, the Lord confused the language of the people because they were trying to band together to exalt themselves. And here we see that the Spirit of God is going to reunite our speech for His glory and His renown to be praised. He is exalted through the rejoining of peoples. The preaching of the gospel will teach men to use the language of humility, repentance, and faith. By his grace, the Lord will shut out boasting and leave men nothing else to glory in but Jesus the King. God will choose for himself a people who are humble and meek and who seek nothing but the name of Christ in his service. How beautiful it is to know that God will restore his people and that he has redeemed us. And he's redeemed us, not just for ourselves, but to care for the least of these. You see, our God didn't redeem us. So we go back to the pattern of verses 1 through 8. He didn't save us from calamity. So we'd go back to devouring the young. So that we'd go back to self-idolatry. So that we would go back to caring only for ourselves. No, God redeems us to open up our eyes to the needs around us to open up our eyes to gospel proclamation to those in our community who need it, to open up our eyes to the needs of the most vulnerable among us. But then we see Zephaniah chapter 14 
through, or Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 14 through 20, the rest of this chapter. This is what the word of God says. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has declared, he has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day, it will be said of Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion. Let not your heart, hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and I will gather the outcast and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. At that time, I will gather you together for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore the fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. What a beautiful picture of the restoration and redemption of the gospel of Christ. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 15, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord is in your midst and you will never again fear evil. Zephaniah three seventeen. the Lord is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. As in the Psalms, people, even in the throes of suffering, are called to worship and give thanks for their anticipated salvation. Rejoicing is appropriate because of the presence of the real King of Israel, Emmanuel, God with us among his people. The human kings of Israel and Judah served only as representation of Israel's true king. The king blesses with his presence those who repent and turn to him. God's people who have been far flung will face restoration at the hand of their king. Instead of being justifiably shamed for our sin, we are renowned and praised because of the gracious salvation of God. Beloved, the gospel is for the meek who will in turn take the gospel to the least of these. Look again at verse 19. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors. I will save the lame. I will gather the outcast and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. The gospel of King Jesus invites us. It beckons us and it commands us to join the Father's plan to restore the least of these. We're, we're being invited in to God's holy plan to redeem and restore the least of these. And who are the least of these? It's the single moms who are living without the support of a husband and a projector. It's children who are orphaned and living in institutions or on the streets. It's parents who are living through a generational sin and, and curse of drugs and abuse and neglect of their children. It's children around the world who've been orphaned because of physical, emotional, or social reasons. And beloved, we haven't been called just to show physical care to them. No, we've been called to manifest the gospel of Jesus to them. I love what T.S. Eliot says about being a Christ follower. He says it's a condition of complete simplicity, costing no less than everything. Are we really? Are we willing? Are we ready? Are we able 
to have pure and undefiled religion by showing the gospel of Christ Jesus, by manifesting this sweet gospel to the least of these? You see, Zephaniah's progression is this. There's treachery, there's sin, there's sickness. It deserves the judgment of God. But the sweet, simple grace of Christ Jesus comes and redeems us. But he doesn't redeem us for ourselves. He redeems us for the lame. He redeems us for the outcast. He redeems us for the vulnerable. He redeems us for the stranger. He redeems us for the orphan. Why? So that we can show and put a taste of the kingdom of God on their lips in the way that we care for them. Beloved, don't care for orphans in your community. Don't care for orphans in your home. Don't care for orphans with your resources without also showing them the sweet grace of Christ Jesus. We must disciple them. And beloved, may no government regulations, may no government stand in the way, and may our fear not stand in the way of us preaching the gospel. You see, Jesus tells us, he beckons us, follow me, lay down your cross, or pick up your cross, lay down your life, pick up your cross, and follow me. To follow Christ means complete surrender. And so we boldly take this gospel to the hardest places. The Apostle Paul says, for me to live is for the glory of Christ. And for me to die is to exist in the presence of Christ. It is gain. While we have breath in our bones, let us show the justice of the kingdom and the sweet gospel of grace to those who are perishing. Oswald Chambers says this, never try to explain God until you have obeyed him. The only part of God we understand is the part we have obeyed. So beloved, are we obeying God? Do we have pure and undefiled religion? We can never try to explain him to our people until we show them by our simple obedience that we're caring for the outcast, that we're caring for the lame, that we're caring for the meek. Let us show them that we believe this word and that we're willing to obey this word. A.W. Tozer says, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we only do the things that we can do ourselves. Beloved, I know that resources are tight. I know that in a global pandemic, many times we don't know where the next paycheck will come from. We don't know where the next resource will come from to be able to care for our own families and our own homes. Oh, but we have God-sized vision. And we have a God-sized calling. And don't we know that he will supply the seed for the sower and he will provide the harvest for the reaper. So let's follow him. Let's trust him with everything that we have, knowing that he is so much more passionate about this glorious gospel going to our communities. He is so much more passionate about this glorious gospel being preached to our people. He is so much more passionate about the orphan and the widow and the outcast being saved. We're just joining him in this calling that he's called us to. So my question is, are we concerned for the vulnerable as God's covenant people? Are we thirsty for the righteousness of Christ? Are we passionate to show the gospel and share the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations? And will we live out poor, pure, and faultless in true religion? Or will we ignore the orphan and the widow and the stranger and the alien? No, let's do both. Let's be passionate about the gospel. And let's be passionate about the physical needs around us. Let's meet those needs, but let's do it in such a way 
that we highlight the gospel of Christ Jesus. So I want to encourage you to pray. Pray for the orphan in your community, outside your doorstep, right? On the other part of the city, pray. Pray deeply and let's lead our people to pray. Let's advocate. Let's speak out and support children by visiting them, by visiting into their homes, by, 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 by kneeling down and caring for them. And let's encourage our people to join us into caring for the needs of those around us. Oh, beloved, we have been redeemed with lavish grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus that while we were sinners, while we were devouring those around us, while we were insolent, while we were haughty, while we were spurning God's rule, Jesus came. He lavished us with sweet grace. So let today be the day that we begin to follow God's commands, to care for the vulnerable, to care for the widow, to care for the orphan, to care for the fatherless, and to show them the matchless grace of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters that are joining us over this simulcast, that are joining and watching this video. I pray that they would appreciate the sweet, amazing grace that is yours through Christ Jesus. Lord, that you have given us through Christ Jesus that is ours. Lord, I pray that that gospel would truly transform us to open up our eyes to see the needs around us. Lord, I pray you would open up our eyes to the needs of the vulnerable. I pray you'd open up our eyes to the needs of the orphan. I pray you'd open up the, our eyes to the needs of the vulnerable families. God, I pray you'd supply what we need to physically meet those needs. And Father, I pray that we would always be about wrapping around with the hope of the gospel by showing the gospel, by teaching the gospel, and by discipling these children and their families to see the glorious gospel of Christ Jesus. Lord, in our context that we come from, I pray that the secular elite would come to see the gospel of Christ Jesus by the way we serve you and by the way we speak of you. Lord, I pray that Hindus who are seeking for multiple a multiplicity of gods would come to know that there is one God through the way that we serve and the way that we speak of your name. God, I pray that Muslims in animistic religions would come to see the glorious grace of Christ Jesus through the way that we serve, through the way we speak of you, and the way we proclaim your name. And Lord, I pray that you would use all of those that are a part of this Altar 84 conference, that you would equip us, that you would empower us, and you would embolden us to preach this glorious gospel without fear and to show that we believe it by the way that we live it. Lord God, I pray that you would be with the rest of our speakers and with the rest of this conference. And even though it's different than we planned, and even though it's different than we expected, that your spirit would use it to illuminate ways in our lives that we can respond to this gospel call to care for the orphan, the fatherless, and the vulnerable. And it's in your name that we pray, it's in your name that we serve, and it's in your gospel that we preach. The name of Jesus Christ, amen. God bless you. We hope that you enjoy this rich conference. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. 
Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study. Music